0: Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. Okay, here we go.
1: John chapter 20. Now, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, of course, that's on Sunday, Mary Magdalene, went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. We believe that's John himself who's writing this and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, And the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. Let me just stop here. I I just get a kick out of John. Now, when we get to heaven, we'll be able to talk with these apostles and such once it's our turn, I guess. But what I love about John is that John just says things that other gospel writers will infer or maybe generalize. For example, uh one of the gospels talk about Judas who comments on the alabaster alabaster flask and says that could have been sold. Well, some of the gospels will say uh, one of the disciples said this, uh, but John said, no, that was Judas that said that. <laughs> I mean, just names him. And uh, same thing with Peter, you know, some of the gospels, one says uh, in the garden of Gethsemane and one of the s- disciples drew his sword and swung, you know, and cut off the the servant of the high priest ear, and uh, John says, and Simon Peter, you know, he just names him, and it's almost as if you know, there's Peter and Andrew, and then there's James and John. These are two sets of brothers, and they were partners in the fishing business. The Bible says, and so these guys have known each other likely for years, and John likely being uh, the youngest of the four, and but it's it's always like he's comparing himself a little bit or calling out, especially Peter, <laughs> saying these things. Now, not being critical, but I I love how the Holy Spirit is inspiring these texts, but he's allowing the personalities of the various authors to also come out, as long as it's true, as long as what they're saying is accurate, precise, and uh uh, in line with the Word of God, the Holy Spirit is allowing that to be scripted and documented in Scripture as the Word of God. How in the world could that happen? That human authors are putting their own uh, personalities into this. You see the, the writing styles are different, and yet it's the Word of God. See, God does that. Holy men of God wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Peter tells us in Second Peter chapter 1. Well, I just love it here that John says that uh, Peter took off to run toward the tomb and then the other disciple, which is himself, took off and the other disciple outran Peter. You know, nobody else captures that, but John's saying, yeah, I I outran him. I beat him to the tomb, you know. And so I I just love these little nuances that are in there uh, that I think are help the story to be even more believable that these are real human beings. They were friends. They were sometimes um, uh, competitive with one another. And we know that's true because of how the disciples would talk about who was the greatest among them. Do you remember the, uh, the scenario? So anyway, I just enjoy all of these little personalities that are captured in Scripture. So, it says, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb, verse 5, and he, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen cloths, talking about himself lying there, yet he did not go in. John didn't go in, verse 6. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. Now, this is this is Peter's personality. He doesn't want to just peek in around the corner to see if Jesus' body is there. I want to go in. I want to verify. So he climbs in the tomb. It says, and he went in to the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief had been around uh, that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself, almost as if when Jesus was raised from the dead. And maybe this is the case. It doesn't say that Jesus, he's raised from the dead, he took that thing off his head, folded it up, set it down over there. <laughs> And, uh, and went on his way. So very interesting. It was folded. And then it goes on to say in, let's see, verse 8. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. And by the way, this is a normal pattern, that Simon Peter was normally first to move forward, not just opening his big mouth as some people portray him to, to do. He did speak up. But many of the things, if not most of the things that he spoke up to say were right on the money, right on the money. And like, for example, when Jesus said the night before he died, uh, all of you are going to be made to stumble and all of you will be scattered. And Peter said, I'm not going to be scattered. I'll die with you. And then the other disciples chimed in. Us too. No, we'll die with you. And of course, they all backed off of Jesus because of what was happening to him. So, then the other disciple, he also came in. So John went into the tomb after Peter went into the tomb. Verse 9, For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Even though Jesus was telling them that he was going to be raised from the dead, they didn't realize that this was prophesied in scripture. They didn't see it. Verse 10, then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, uh, excuse me, two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. So inside the tomb, one at the head where Jesus' head was, one at the feet where Jesus' feet was and two angels. Can you imagine how that could really startle you? And notice this, uh, verse 13. Then they, the angel, said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, And so she turned around looking outside of the tomb and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? So he's asking her the same question that the angels did. And then he added, Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, because you know this was a garden setting where Jesus died and was buried. She said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Oh man, I mean, when there's someone that you know well and they say your name, you know how it is when you recognize that voice, especially when they call your name. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned around to him. Rabboni, which is to say teacher. She realized who it was. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Interesting that he says, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. What's interesting about that is when Jesus appears to the disciples in, for example, I believe it's Luke 24, he says, handle me, for a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see me have. He told Thomas, put your finger in the holes in my hands, uh, which probably in his wrist, put your hand in my side where the spear pierced me and see that it's I, you know, and of course, Thomas didn't want to do it after that. He was doubting before, but now he wasn't doubting. But I want you to notice here, Jesus says, don't cling to me because I haven't yet ascended to my father. So, And there's another place that says that Jesus appeared in another form, in another form. Now, what does that mean? That means that uh, he came here, and this is shortly after he was raised from the dead. I mean, uh, Mary came to the tomb while it was still dark, went and got Peter and John. They came to the tomb. They left, and now she's there and she sees Jesus. So this is early in the morning still that she sees him. He said, don't cling to me. I haven't yet ascended to my father. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus, as our high priest, he needed to do what the Levitical priest would do, particularly the high priest going into the Holy of Holies and taking the blood of bulls and goats and such in there. Those were all types and shadows, or they were pictures of what the Lamb of God, of what the high priest would have to do, Jesus, he would have to go into the heavenly tabernacle with his own blood. And that's what the book of Hebrews tells us he had to do. And you had to be clean. You had to be ceremonially clean. And so it I believe, it seems to me, it doesn't exactly connect this dot in scripture, but it seems to me he said, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. He still had to go and sprinkle his own blood on, in the tabernacle to atone for the sins of the world. And so he said, don't cling to me. But then later, when he appeared to the disciples, he said, go ahead, handle me. Go ahead, handle me. Very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. Seems to me like that's the puzzle piece that was missing. So it goes on to say in verse 18, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week. So this is still on Sunday, the same day at evening, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Notice he's not saying anything about not touching him. Verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if Jesus just said, receive the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't think all that much about it. Because... He it would have sounded like he was forecasting Acts chapter 2 and what he said at the Great Commission, stay in Jerusalem, you know, and Acts chapter 1, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. See, so that would make sense to me. But when the Bible says here, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, it's clear that he's saying, receive now. I believe with all of my heart that this is when these disciples were born again. Because when you are born again, the Holy Spirit comes in you. But that doesn't mean that you're filled with the Spirit. That doesn't mean that you're baptized with the Spirit. And that's clear in the book of Acts, that there's a distinction between, even though they can happen simultaneously, as they did in the 10th chapter of Acts at Cornelius' house, they can happen simultaneously. However, also in the book of Acts, there are clear distinctions between when people got born again and when people were filled with the Holy Spirit. The eighth chapter of Acts in Samaria is a perfect example, as well as the 19th chapter when Paul found those about 12 disciples uh, uh, in the upper regions of Ephesus there, and he baptized them and then laid hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit. And so the point is that it seems to me that here, when he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the fullness of the Spirit didn't happen until Acts chapter two, which would have been, by the way, let's see, would have been uh, Pentecost is 50 days after Passover, and this would be the third day after Passover. So we're talking about 47, 48 days later is when they're filled with the Spirit. But here he breathed on them. And said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Notice, not I cannot, I will not believe. This this is a choice. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your fingers, finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. So notice Jesus says, do not, Thomas, do not be unbelieving, but believing. What does that mean? That means that we have a choice. You have a choice. I have a choice. We hear the word of God and it sounds too good to be true, but we have a choice. Are we going to choose to believe what God says more than we believe this person, that person, this expert, that, uh, you know, philosopher or that PhD, or people that we think are credible, rational. See, Jesus calls on us to believe him, to believe God, to believe God's word. So he tells Thomas, don't be unbelieving, but believing. Be a believer in the truth of God's word even when it doesn't make sense. well, I've learned to not question God. <laughs> I love Romans chapter three, where Paul said, let God be true and every man a liar. How many? Every man. There's no human being on earth that can compete with God in knowledge. So if anybody disputes the truth of God's word, well, then they're wrong. They're liars. They, they may not realize they are, but they are. Let God be true and every man a liar. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. So see, now he believes. However, listen to what Jesus said to him. My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Well, I remember when I, I... was really seeking after the Lord about 18 years old. And I was in my closet praying. I was saying, Lord, let me see an angel. Let me see Jesus. That's what I asked him first. Jesus, I want to see you. And then let me see an angel. And the Lord taught me over the process of time by him not showing me something with my physical eyes, but requiring me to believe his word. I was really receiving the best. He said to Thomas, he said, because you've seen me, you believed blessed are those who have not seen and yet they believe. You want to be blessed? Don't require to see something. For we walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. God wants us to believe what he said without seeing it. Those are the blessed people. And I I realized and I began to thank God, Lord, I don't need to see anything. If you say it, it's true. I'm going to believe your word. And I tell you what, talk about, lunging forward in my spiritual life by choosing not to have to see evidence to prove God's word is true. No, I believe the word of God and the word of God produces evidence to show that it is indeed true. All right, verse 30. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe. Notice, these are written that you may believe. These are written You weren't there to see it, but they're written that you may believe because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. So it says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ or Messiah, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Isn't this good? Praise God. So the Lord wants us to be believers In fact, let's just declare right now, I choose to be a believer. I choose not to be a doubter. I am going to believe God's word, no matter who disputes it. Let God be true. And every man a liar. Lord, I believe your word. I will trust your word. I will stand on your word.
0: I will live by your word in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Deerman.